You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co-sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. Before we get into today's episode, here's a quick word from the future, which it turns out is right now. Because right now you can get the photos and videos your business needs while sitting on your couch, no matter where you are. You can grow your e-com store with Suna. Suna is the world's first virtual content studio. In 24 hours, you'll have the solution to your e-commerce sales. No expensive photo or video shoot, just you making money with the images people need to inspire them to buy. Get started today at Suna.co. Hey everyone, welcome back. Super excited to be back here with Liz Georgie, co-founder and CEO of Suna for another episode together. Liz is my go-to for all things creative. So who better to riff with about, bum, 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 blanding. Liz, welcome back. Always love recording together. So let's, before we get into it, it's been about a month since you've been on the show. Give us a refresher, fill us in about you and Suna. Of course. Well, thank you for having me. I love being here. I love talking creativity in commerce. Suna is a virtual photo shoot platform. I started this company three years ago with my co-founder Haley after spending our careers in creative production. And we knew something that probably everybody listening to your podcast already knew, which is you need photos to sell your products effectively, but making photos is really hard. And so Suna attempts to solve that with our virtual photo shoot platform where you can plan a photo shoot, have a photo shoot, and get your assets entirely online. It is the easiest, most affordable way to create your professional images for your store and videos. So as brands are thinking about launching new products, soon as a place to go to get that product on white, to get that product on a model. If you're looking to promote your products, soon as the place to go to get that Instagram video or that TikTok video, we are a one-stop shop for all the creative needs you need for selling and promoting your product. Love it. And like, your scale is pretty impressive. Do you think you've probably done a million photos at this oh, point? Like, what's the number? Don't underestimate us. We shot 10 million photos last year for <laughs> our brand. So 10 million it. photos. And actually, believe it or not, we shot about 25,000 videos last year. So wow. we have done a huge, huge volume of creative content at scale for brands big and small. Amazing. So I remember a few years ago, there was an article that came out talking about blanding. So like, what does that term mean? And where did it come from? The genesis of blanding is really from the direct to consumer movement that happened in the early aughts, that was trying to achieve a look that appealed to the most possible people. And so a lot of these direct to consumer brands started to kind of copycat each other. It was a lot of products on nude backgrounds or products on millennial pink backgrounds. For whatever reason, every model was always wearing the least offensive all-white clothing. And there just became this sort of uniform look that was achieved across all these direct-to-consumer brands. And of course, the media latched onto this and they termed it blanding. And blanding just sounds pretty bad. It's just this great combination of bland and brand. And it's not what anybody wants their brand to be known for, is to be a bland or not a standing out brand. And so blanding is something that many people thought kind of have gone away because maybe Millennium Pink has gone into the backs, perhaps backslid into Instagram, or maybe you're not seeing as many of your favorite Instagrammers, you know, wearing these very 
boring outfits, but actually I think it's really just evolved. Now we see different things emerging as kind of bland features. Some of the things that are really common that I see right now are every single brand at the exact same time, for whatever reason, all decides that they love prisms. And so there's just prisms everywhere. We've got prisms with cosmetics, prisms with home goods, prisms on the couch. It's just all of a sudden a single prop or a single idea becomes universal. Fiddly fig trees were in quite literally every shot you saw anywhere on the internet for years. And so really, it's just this idea of brands looking at each other and copying each other instead of figuring out how do we stand out from one another. That's interesting. So do you think it's about like purely the creative, the visual aesthetic that these brands are putting out? Or is it more than that? I believe it's a combination of the visual aesthetic and a mood that these brands are thinking they're trying to create. There's this idea that we want to be easy, we want to be approachable, we want to be friendly. But in being easy and approachable and friendly, they're sort of just looking like each other, which makes it really hard to discern, you know, a mattress company from a pillow company from a lotion company. And that's part of the problem with blanding is when we're scrolling on Instagram or when we're watching TikTok it actually is not in our favor to be fitting in. It's better for our brands to be standing out. Yeah. So like, what can you do to stand out? Well, first and foremost, you want to know what your competitors are doing. So if you don't follow your competitors on social media, if you don't you know, subscribe to their emails, if you don't check out their website on a regular basis, you might accidentally be absorbing some of their creative ways. And so you want to be following them and actively understanding I even suggest getting notifications for when they're posting new things on social media, because then you're constantly being updated on what are they leaning into? What colors are they really absorbing right now into their brand visuals? And getting that constant flow of information about how they're presenting themselves to the world. Then you want to really say, well, what is something that is opposite? And what is something that is unique to us? And part of that process of asking yourself, What's opposite and unique can be really simple. What's the opposite of red? Well, it might be a cool tone like blue or green. Maybe you want to ask what's the opposite of a fiddle leaf fig? Well, it might be something that isn't greenery, but is maybe flowers or stones or something that's literally the opposite of that object. However, you can take this even further and you can say, well, what's the mood they're trying to present? And you can go for the opposite of that mood. So if they're trying to do cool or calm or overly kind of composed, you can be more free and more fun and more joyful. And those feelings can come out in your creative as well. And those emotions will stand out for your consumers as well. Yeah. Or if they're just going, you know, product only, weave in models and, you know, video and stuff like that. So I think- Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good call. So it really- What we're talking about here from a blanding perspective is in creative, right? It's less so about like what happens after the click, even though there's implications there too. This is all about conversion, right? I spent some time last week actually with a brand called Shinesty. Shinesty is a really large, what I call a festivities company. They create a lot of fun merchandise for when you go to an ugly sweater party or when you go to a tailgate party. And what they've decided to do in terms of being the opposite of their competitors is all their competitors are showing, you know, people wearing this stuff at a holiday party. 
But they're going, well, no, no, no. Let's have this person wearing this stuff in traffic. Let's have this person wearing this stuff at work. Let's have people in environments that just stand out because their competitors were doing the obvious thing. Sometimes it's about just doing the non-obvious thing, the thing that will sort of stop people from scrolling and make them go, well, that's not meeting my expectations in a good, good way. Yeah, no, it's interesting. One of the first episodes that we did together, which stands out to me, you were talking about like the evolution of creative and how like the first wave of e-commerce was really built by developers and like they didn't know what they were doing. And so, you know, they just started with products on white backgrounds, right? Like think about Amazon. Yes. And so like, then there was this shift to kind of weave in more color, which may have contributed to some of the blending stuff that we're talking about. And now, you know, in that episode, you were talking about the death of product on white. So it's interesting to hear like even some of your suggestions in that because it's not like your options don't just start and end with color. No. Environment, you know, props you're talking about. So there's really a, a bunch of different kind of elements you can weave into your creative to make you stand out or differentiate. It's environment, it's props, it's the people that you put in your images. If you're a pet company, it's the pets. If you're a kid's company, it's kids. And it's really also about how all these different pieces come together, thinking about it like a puzzle, right? So maybe your brand color is pink and you're just gonna go with pink forever and you're okay with the blending implications. But you decide that pink plus hot pink accessories, hot pink vases, hot pink platforms, these types of things are what's going to help your brand set itself apart. So, so important because it's really about what you bring together in this visual imagery that creates better conversion. And I want to also just emphasize for people, it's also opportunities though in the copy that you write on your product listing pages. You know, don't write the copy that everybody's expecting. It's a nice Saturday morning and there's a cool breeze and you're having a (laughs) cup of coffee. You know, be a little brave with your copy. Be a little bit more irreverent. Be more human. And you might find that these little details start to add up in a way that allows for your customer to not feel like you're selling to them, but they're actually relating to your brand. Yeah. And I think I think your your suggestion of like following the competition, but then taking a step back and saying, like, who are we? How do we want to represent ourselves? And how do we want to kind of differentiate ourselves amongst the noise? And I think the biggest difference between now and maybe five years ago is that even if you're doing something really unique, there's probably 50 other brands that are selling a very similar product in a similar category. There is a statistic that routinely blows my mind. When we entered the pandemic in 2020, There were 7 million merchants selling online across the globe. According to the National Retailers Association, at the end of 2021, we exited the pandemic with 12 million retailers selling online. So your competitor likely emerged in the last two years, and they are probably looking at the competition. They might even be copying you. And so if they're copying you, you've got to get one step ahead. You've got to get one more creative edge on your competition that maybe just emerged. I love it. So keep in mind, blanding is a real thing. It was a great article. It was an ad week, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so check it out. 
I think I'll be, you know, at a minimum, you'll get some laughs uh, and some really good tips in here today from Liz on, on how to stand out and differentiate. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. 